Good morning, Village Church. I'm Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at the Village. I'm glad to be with you this morning. As a church, we are in a sermon series we're calling Church Alive. And uh, we're looking at the way the church comes to life and the life that Jesus gives his church. And this morning, we're going to be talking about the idea of the church alive by the Holy Spirit. You know, um, before this whole quarantine thing, in 2019, there was a survey done by the Pew Research Group. They're a very reputable research group, and they found that 65% of American adults would describe themselves as Christians when they're asked about their religion. 65% of Americans would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. That describes me. Now, um, if you're like me, I mean, that describes your experience in Orange County, right? Six out of ten people? Okay, you're right. It doesn't. Six, eight out of ten, right? Eight out of ten, something like that? Six out of ten people in the United States would describe themselves as Christians. And a recent uh, Gospel Coalition article cited a study in, uh, from the Arizona Christian Culture Research Center that said that of those self-identified Christians, listen to this church, 58% of them, over half of them, contend that the Holy Spirit is not a real living being, but is merely a symbol of God's power and presence and purity. I just want that to sit for a moment. I know that most of you that are here are fairly church people, but on a national level, over half of the people that would raise their hand and say, yes, I'm a Christian, or would check that box on the survey, 58% of them would say, I don't even believe that the Holy Spirit is an actual person, but is a force. I mean, think about for a moment what that means. That means that over half of the professing Christians in America don't know the most basic realities about how the God that they claim they believe in or would follow even exists as one God and three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One of the earliest creeds that we believe as Christians goes back to the year 300, with the Nicene Creed, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. If we're going to be a church that's alive, the Holy Spirit is the one that gives his life to his church. He proceeds from the Father and the Son and with the Father and the Son and is, is what? Is worshipped and glorified. We don't worship and glorify a force. We worship a person. That's why at the Village Church, our first statement and our statement of faith, and if you're new to us and you stalked us on the website, you already read this. And if you've been here a while, I, I pray that you know this, that we believe in one God manifested in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, who are co-equal and co-eternal. This is foundational to what it means to be a Christian. This is who we worship. This is who we believe in. This is who we follow. This is who we've devoted our entire lives to. And beyond knowing that he exists, what this means is that over half of the professing Christians in America don't know how to actually listen to me, to know God. Half of them don't even know how God exists and how he's, he's made up. They, second, they don't even know, know how to know him because the Bible tells us the only way we know who he is and know him is through his spirit. In John 17, Jesus prays this for all of his disciples. This is eternal life. What? That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And this morning we're going to see the only way that happens is through the Holy Spirit. And this means more. It means that over half the professing Christians in America, they, they don't know anything of the new spiritual life that is available to them. 
Paul would later write to the Roman church, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead will also give what? Life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now you might, you might feel surprised at some of these statistics. You might feel surprised at some of these realities, at least among professing Christians on a national level. But listen to me, I want to tell you this morning, this is nothing new. This is nothing new. This is, this is, it was quite possibly, albeit for some of the same and for some of the different reasons then today, just as possible in the life of the early church as it was for those who would claim to be part of his church today. I think we see this starting in verse 1 where it says, it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus, a huge city, by the way, a metropolis, there he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, we'll get to in a moment why Paul may be asking that question, but the response is sort of startling, isn't it? They said, no. And more than no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. <laughs> We've not even heard that there is such a thing. So Paul presses in. He said, well, then into what were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is, is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When you're reading through the Bible, sometimes in the scripture reading plan, or when you're reading through it in the morning, you read through a passage of the scripture, a little pericope, a little section, and do you ever ask the question, why? Like, why is that there? And if you don't, I would encourage you to ask that question when you read scripture, why? Why is this here? And as we study the book of Acts, this is a really important question, because Acts is a kind of a narrative. It's a theological narrative. It's a narrative of how the, the church has kind of developed and how Jesus birthed it. And it's a really good question to ask, why is this here? Because in a narrative, the author could include anything. There were so many things that happened in the life and ministry of Jesus. John told us so many things that if, you know, all the books in the world couldn't contain them all. And there's so many things that happened in the life of the early church. Could you imagine the years that are being covered here? And, and when we have 28 chapters. So why this? Why is this here? I think the answer in part is, is this, that Luke wanted the early church to know that, listen to me, it is possible to profess, to have some kind of faith, listen to me, connected to Jesus without really knowing Jesus. And I think Luke used the term disciples here to describe these men. Listen to me, a term that's used elsewhere in the New Testament to describe actual disciples. I believe Luke uses this term here to describe these men, likely because they appeared to be disciples on the outside. Look, they looked like disciples in some way. They were doing some kind of practices commonly associated with faith. They were going to and hanging around the quote-unquote church of their day. It was the synagogue. When Paul went into a town, he would go to the synagogue, and he would hang out around the synagogue. And later we see him entering the synagogue. This was sort of the church for the Jewish people of the day. They're hanging around church, especially on Christmas and Easter. Maybe they went to Christian coffee shops like True Brew. Everyone that goes there is a Christian, right? Amen, Bible students? 
they do have a really good dirty chai. I will tell you that. It is divine, okay? Maybe they took their kids to a sports camp that was sponsored by FCA. Maybe they took a Dave Ramsey finance course. Maybe they downloaded Kanye's new album when it came out, you know? I mean, I don't have a problem with any of those things. They're all great things. We've taught the Dave Ramsey course, and we think it's great. My son goes to FCA football camps. I love the dirty chai at the coffee shop, True Brew. I love hanging around the church and the people in the church. I even downloaded the album, and I thought it was pretty good. They were doing some kinds of practices commonly associated with faith. They were connected to a faith leader. Who was that? That was John, the baptizer. Around here, the people say, like, yeah, I go to Pastor so-and-so's church. They likely had some kind of religious jargon. Listen, they struck up a conversation with Paul, and Paul knew his jargon. They obviously knew enough about their spiritual need to know that they needed something to change. They needed to live differently. That's why they listened to John, and they were baptized by John. And John told them, you need to repent. Your life needs to change. They knew something needed to change in their lives. But there was something missing. More importantly, there was someone missing. The Holy Spirit of God. And Paul knew enough about the kind of life that a Christian would have. You ever bump into a Christian and you don't know it yet, but you know it already? You bump into someone that you don't know as a Christian. They're a stranger to you, and you're in a conversation, but something about you tells you, I know this person's a Christian. Because there's something about the life that God has given to us that when you bump into another Christian, you know, and they know. Paul knew that wasn't present. Despite all the outside sort of things, external things, it wasn't present. They didn't know about the person of the Holy Spirit, which in Acts 17, 16, 7 is referred to as the Spirit of Jesus. So we know something of the why of this account. Luke wanted the early church to know that it's possible to profess to have some kind of faith, listen to me, connected to Jesus without really knowing Jesus. But there's also the what question. What might Luke have wanted the early church to do after reading this, after hearing it? You know, in the early church, they would have read these things aloud. Someone like me would have stood up, probably without a Britney Spears mic, and, you know, read aloud over this big group of people. And they would have all heard it. They learned this way. So when they got to this point, what, what did Luke want them to do when they heard what he recorded? The why is obvious. What did he want them to do? Well, if you know something about the Bible, you know that Luke acts as kind of a, a discipleship and a missional manual for the early church. Luke wanted to provide a, a discipleship account. It's, it's a book of Luke and a, and a missional manual. That's the, the book of Acts to show the church how to follow Jesus and how to be on mission for him. And so I, I believe Luke really would have likely wanted the early church to look back on all the ways that he had already referenced the Holy Spirit in his gospel account and in the book of Acts. And ask them maybe questions like, do you know and believe these things? And are you living your life in light of them? Do you know and believe these things and you're living your life in light of them? So, so some of you know the Bible well, and you know that the book of Luke has more references to the Holy Spirit than any other gospel account. And you know that the book of Acts is chocked filled with it. And so you're asking yourself in your mind right now, Matt, are you really going to walk us through the entire book of Luke and the book of Acts and all the references to the Holy Spirit? And the answer to that question is no. 
but I am going to take you back to Acts chapter 1, and we are going to walk through those references. I'm going to tell you up front, I picked 15, and there could have been 18. I think some of them combined save you a few minutes. I picked 15. And of these 15 things, I'm going to walk through them fairly quickly. I want you to hold on to one or three of them, and if you're taking notes and you're writing them down, I want you to write down the ones that grab you the most. And I want, you, I want to ask you to ask yourself this question. Do I know this, and do I believe this? And I want you to ask yourself, am I living my life in light of this? I believe this is one of the things Luke would have wanted his original audience to do. So this is what we're going to do this morning. First, the Holy Spirit inspires the commands of Jesus. We're starting in Acts 1, verse 2, until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Did you know that Jesus gave the commands he did through the Holy Spirit, that those things were inspired by the Spirit, that Jesus was baptized, anointed with the Spirit, just as you and I are, as we'll get to in a moment. And, and we know that now the entire Bible is inspired by God, Paul told Timothy. And then Peter said, men spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That these commands that we read and we believe and we obey are inspired by the, the Holy Spirit of God. Do you believe it? Do you know it? Are you living your life in light of it? Secondly, the Holy Spirit brings new spiritual life. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The Holy Spirit brought new life to the disciples. The Holy Spirit brings new life to us as, as people are baptized in our church. Ty and Ava most recently, as they went under the water and they came back out of the water, we see something of, of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus and the new life that's brought through our profession of faith and our, our belief and our trust in the Jesus and the truths of his gospel. The Holy Spirit empowers us for the mission Jesus has for us. The whole book of Acts unfolds from Acts 1-8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. If you're a person who wants to be on mission with and for Jesus, the Holy Spirit is the one that empowers you for that, both generally and specifically to the thing that he has called you to, which we'll talk about in a moment. Do you believe that? Do you know that? Are you living your life in light of that? The Holy Spirit is promised to everyone who puts their faith in Jesus. Peter said to them in that first sermon, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and your children, here it is, and all who are far off, everyone whom our Lord God calls to himself. And that's the way it works. God calls us to himself. You might be in here this morning and have been a Christian for some time and been wondering, how, how, come, how come this isn't, doesn't feel the same for me as it does for this person? I'm telling you right now, if you've received Christ, you've committed your life to him, the Holy Spirit indwells you. It's a promise from God. The Holy Spirit is as much a person and divine as the Father and the Son. Remember that story about Ananias and Sapphira? Kind of a scary one. <laughs> and in the midst of that story, Peter says to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Then he says in verse 4 at the end of it, you have not lied to man, but to God. Equating the Holy Spirit with God, because he is the third person of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is something that these professing followers missed here in Acts 19. Please don't miss this. 
And if you're not yet a Christian, you're with us. This is how we believe God has revealed himself to be, because this is what the scripture says, that God's revealed himself to be one God in three first persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, co-equal, co-eternal. Christians call this the Trinity when we talk about this in terms of our doctrine that we believe. For some of us as um, Christians in our stream, uh, you know, we have uh, an unusual trinity sometimes, Father, Son, and what's the third one? Holy Scripture. Yeah, and the Scripture is holy. <laughs> and we value it so highly at the Village Church. Our second core value is, well, first is biblical authority. Second is gospel centrality. But the Holy Spirit is the one who's inspired Holy Scripture. That's who he is. The Holy Spirit qualifies church leaders. Did you know that? Remember Acts 6? Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven good men of good repute. They are full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom he will appoint to this duty. The sort of first deacons, so to speak, of the early church. Last night, we had a, a small leadership gathering and a celebration, and it was for ministry leads and some of our deacons and pastors and people over-serve teams and ministries of this church. And, you know, one of the qualifiers for those people is they're filled with the Spirit of God, clearly. They're bearing the fruit of the Spirit in their life, and they're walking in the Spirit. They're not perfect people, but they're people that are filled with God's Spirit. The Spirit qualifies church leaders. The Holy Spirit is resisted by religious people. You stiff-necked people, Stephen said in his sermon, uncircumcised and heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your father did, so also do you. See, religious people resist the Holy Spirit because religion tells you you can do it on your own. You can earn it on your own. You can make it on your own. If you just follow the rules and do, and do good enough, then you get it. And so you resist the Holy Spirit because why? You don't need him. Christianity is not a religion. We are not religious people in that sense. The Holy Spirit can be counterfeited by ill-intentioned people. Remember back in Acts chapter 8? When Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the hands of the apostles, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. People can do their best to counterfeit the Holy Spirit. You can flip to channel 40 and see that any day of the week. Did I say that? I did. The Holy Spirit can speak to us and prompt us toward evangelism. Remember that story with Philip? Wasn't that a unique story? It says actually that the Spirit said to Philip, go over there to his chariot. You ever been in a coffee shop and, and sense the Spirit prompting you to go talk to someone? You've been standing around watching one of your kids' games or practices and there's someone and all of a sudden you just sense this prompting. You're supposed to go strike up a conversation with this person for gospel reasons. The Holy Spirit does that. Do you know that? Do you believe that? For me, that's one that grabbed me this week. Am I living my life in light of that? Like when I sense that nudge, am I moving? I do believe that. I do know it. Am I living my life in light of that? The Holy Spirit can comfort a church in trying times. This is a verse we're praying together as a church, and I just want to pause and say, man, I've been so blessed. I've been in conversations with maybe a half a dozen of you this week. One of them was actually with a partner, and it was at 9 o'clock, and this partner said, um, hey, as long as we're done by 9.31, so both you and I can pray together. It was 9 o'clock in the morning, and it was coming up on that time, and Acts 9.31 says, says this, and I should know it off the top of my head. And the, and the, uh, and the church had peace. This demon gnat. And seriously, it's been with me since the beginning. There's fertilizer on this stage, and um, he likes me. 
So, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace, and it was built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. At that season, the church had gone through immense persecution under Stephen. And we've gone through some hard stuff in the last couple of years as a church. And we're just praying that Jesus would comfort his church by his spirit. And that he would build it up and grow it and multiply it in this new season and next season. Do we believe that? We live in our lives in light of these things. The Holy Spirit empowers us, listen to me, just like he empowered Jesus. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Again, the Spirit comes on Jesus, and Luke shows us that the Spirit comes on the disciples of Jesus to empower them the same way that Jesus was empowered. The Holy Spirit and baptism are meant to go together as closely as they can. After Paul's with Cornelius in his household, and in that area proclaims the gospel, and people believe, and he says, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked him to remain there for many days. This is the New Testament pattern. This is the New Testament pattern. And I just want to pause for a moment here and say, at the Village Church, this is why we'll do baptisms as often as we need to. Like we schedule them a couple times a year, but we'll do them as often as we need to. If someone in our church senses it's time for them to be baptized, we will plan one next week. Why? Because the New Testament pattern is you profess faith in Jesus, you get baptized, um, and, and that is a sign, a symbol. It reminds us that you've also received God's Holy Spirit. And those three things are meant to be so tightly knit together that you can't tell the difference. It's like that rope at Home Depot that you go to buy, and I think I've mentioned this before, where it's, it's tied together with some wax at the top, but if you cut it off, you, you, you unbraid it, it's actually three ropes that are tied so closely together, it looks like one. And the church in our culture has gotten, I think, really far away from this. At least the evangelical church in our culture, we, we, we profess our faith in Jesus, and then we're like, well, we're not sure we're ready to be baptized, or it's the right place or the right time. And if you're here this morning, and you've professed faith in Christ, and you've not yet been baptized, can I just... I couldn't more strongly encourage you to approach one of your pastors and, and let's talk about being baptized. This is part of what Christians do and have done since Jesus and his disciples. The Holy Spirit can give the church prophetic insight into the future. So some of you, I just got your attention. Let me read it again, unless you've been sort of wandering, okay? The Holy Spirit can give the church prophetic insight for the future. We see this in Acts chapter 11. It literally says, and one of them named Agabus stood up and what? foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. Now, some of you, I just scared you. You're saying, is this that kind of church? I'm going to answer that question in about five minutes, so hang on. I will tell you for now, I think I have a couple words this morning that I think I can predict. So hold me to these. Gas prices will continue to rise. I believe the Lord's laying it on my heart that gold will increase in the near future in its value. Some other things like this. A little tongue-in-cheek. I will say that some, like, some things like this have happened in the course of the life of the church, and I believe they can. I believe God gives his people discernment and wisdom so they can plan and prepare. All kidding aside, I think these things need to be tested. The Holy Spirit sets apart leaders for his mission in the world. Acts 13 is one of my favorite passages in the book of Acts. 
says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Spirit said, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have commanded them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. It wasn't but just a few weeks ago that Pastor Aaron stood up on this stage behind this pulpit and, 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 and opened up God's word to us in the book of Acts and encouraged us and exhorted us and then went back to the church that he is replanting in Vermont. And he has been sent. And the elders of this church and the congregation believes he's supposed to be there. And so we've sent him and, and we've helped to empower him and we're giving to him and we want to support him and, because we believe Jesus is calling him. This is what the Spirit of God does. And lastly, the Holy Spirit sets the boundaries of our part in his mission in the world. Remember that passage in Acts 16 where twice it says that they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So they went to come up to Mysia and they tempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Sometimes I wonder, you know, some churches are like, we're all about this ministry. And another church is like, yeah, we don't do that, we do this. And they just feel like, we're not supposed to do this, we're supposed to do these things. And for some reason, Jesus directs them. He does this with individuals. The Holy Spirit does a lot. Do we believe these things? Are we living our lives as Christians in light of them? Well, I'm going to take a deep breath for a second because that was 15 things and I did it pretty fast. And there's the demon out of that. Next question this morning as we kind of end our time together was this. What should we anticipate would happen after we would affirm or reaffirm our belief in these things. Like, for the early church, when, when they read this passage and they heard about it and, and they thought about it, and, and I think Paul, I, Luke's intention would have been for them to think about all the other references to the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts and, and, and to consider, like, do we believe these things? Are we living our lives in light of them? So as we do that this morning, do we believe them? Are we living our lives in light of them? What would we anticipate would happen if we raise our hand and say yes? Like, if I'm asking you this morning, do you believe this? Do you believe in the person of the Holy Spirit? Do you believe in his work? Do you believe in his empowerment? Do you believe in his leading and his guiding and his prompting? Do you believe in his giftings? And you're saying, yeah, I do. And, and if I'm asking you, will you reaffirm that this morning, that you believe these things and that you'll live your life in light of them? You're saying, yes, I will re reaffirm those things this morning. What's next? What do we expect would happen next? Well, what happened next with them? I think we should anticipate God to move in some uncommon ways, to strengthen and to spread faith. That's what the Holy Spirit does when we believe these things and we profess our belief in them and, our, and, and in him and, and, our, and our trust that he's going to empower us, lead us, guide us, equip us, gift us, enable us, teach us, instruct us, remind us of all the things that Jesus told us, all the things that the Holy Spirit does, convict us, comfort us. When we affirm these things, I believe the Spirit of God will move in some uncommon ways to strengthen and spread faith. This is what we see happening. Look at verse 4 and 5 through 7. Paul said, Jesus baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. So, 
So some commentators look at this and they say there was about 12 men in all. And this is the time where you know, Paul has just said, like, I'm done with, like, the, the non-believing Jewish world. I'm going to the Gentile world. And some, some commentators say this is sort of a picture of sort of a second Pentecost in a sense. That the first one in Acts chapters 1 and 2 that was meant to strengthen the church and it was meant to spread faith. Why are people prophesying? Why do they have, why are they speaking in tongues? Why are they doing these things in, in the languages that they've been gifted, that they don't know, but now they're speaking in? Because they were going to go and spread out all over the known world. And because the church at the time had gone through a lot of persecution. And I believe the Spirit of God at the first Pente at Pentecost wanted to strengthen the church in that moment and wanted to not only strengthen the church in its faith, but spread faith to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, just exactly as he had said. And some commentators say that's in part what's happening here. It's, it's, a, it's a reorientation back there to say Jesus wants to strengthen his church by his Spirit. And he wants to, to spread faith in him, by his spirit. I and mean, sometimes that happens in some uncommon ways. For some of you this morning, you, you understand this, you understand theology, you say, okay, is this like a one baptism or a two baptism theology church? And for those of you who are not yet Christians, there are some Christians who believe that when you profess your faith in Jesus, you become a Christian, but there's another time when the Spirit of God comes and takes residence in your life. And I just want to tell you, if, if that's you and you're not yet a Christian and you're wondering about our church, it's not something that we believe as a church. As a church, we believe that um, when we profess our faith in Jesus, it's exactly the way that Paul, or Peter said it was in his first sermon, that we repent, that we're baptized, that we receive the Holy Spirit, and we don't receive part of a person. You receive a whole person. Amen? Right. So like when I receive you into my home, you, you come in, all of you, right? When you, when, you, when you create a friendship with a person, you, you have a friendship with that person. Like the Holy Spirit is a person, not a force. You don't get part of a person, you get all of them. And that's what we believe as Christians. At least that's what our tribe believes. We believe there's a lot of good reason for that. If you're a Bible student, you know, you're reading this passage, you're saying, yeah, but there's some things. He uses the word disciple. I know, I, I think I, I articulated why I think that happened. They appeared to be disciples. They didn't even know the Holy Spirit was present. I don't believe these men were Christians. Paul lays his hands on them. Some people are saying that's like an impartation kind of thing. Maybe, maybe it's just that they were praying over them. And as they were praying for them and they were professing their faith in Christ, they were all being led to Christ. Yeah, the Holy Spirit came into their life. And as a church, we believe that the Holy Spirit comes into our life to give us new life, to empower us to, to live the new life that Jesus wants for us. And that's a one-time event. And as a church, we do believe that Jesus gifts us with certain gifts that he gives severally, as the Bible says, and that he does that by his Spirit as well. And as a church, we believe those gifts are present today, but they should, be, they should operate in a way that is in line with the Bible. They should be tested and if anyone stands up and says, like, I think the Lord wants us to hear this thing, there's maybe seven or eight ways that I, as your lead pastor, would test those things. There's a number of questions that I would ask, starting with, is this about you or is it about Jesus? Is this about you or is it about his church? And, and, and there, there would be six more that we'd go on from there. But maybe Jesus would have a word for his church and that he would, would confirm by his word and would be confirmed by his people and Every now and then I stand up here and I say stuff like, hey, I just, I sense that Jesus wants us to do this this morning. I think we have room for that at the Village Church. We don't have room for things being done out of order in ways the Bible says for them not to be done. That will never happen at the Village Church by God's grace. 
So that's kind of who we are. I hope you get a sense for us. I hope you get a sense for our heart in that, where we'd land. You know, when we look at passages like this, especially if we're Bible students and we want to know, like, where do we land as a church? Too often I think we think about the Holy Spirit in these sort of uncommon ways. We think that, well, if the Spirit's really moving, He's only going to move in uncommon ways. I think we should anticipate more than this. And so we're going to end our time this morning. I think we should anticipate God to move in common ways to strengthen and spread His, spread faith. I think we should, should anticipate God to move in common ways to strengthen and spread faith. Look at verses 8, and, 8 through 10. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in their unbelief, speaking evil of the way, that, of the way of Christ before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, including these 12 men, we're assuming, reasoning daily in the hall of Tranius. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And I think sometimes when we read the book of Acts, we see these unbelievable moments of like, of healing. And, and we think to ourselves, yeah, that is the way. If more of that happened, more people would hear and believe in and respond to the gospel. Maybe. Maybe. But maybe not. I mean, what we see here is <laughs> this continued for two years so that all of the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. The way it was heard was for through the teaching and the reasoning in the hall of Tyrannus. It was through the common strengthening of the church, the common spreading of the faith, through teaching and preaching and instruction and discipleship. And at the Village Church, that means here on Sunday morning as we open up God's Word together. That means the Scripture reading plan as you're in it daily. We're in the book of Luke right now in the New Testament. That's a great connection this morning. When you're in your community group and you're talking about these things together and you're sharing your life together and what Jesus is teaching you, in your men's and women's Bible studies, the women are studying Genesis right now. The men just wrapping up some chapters in Romans. This happens in Apprentice Academy over here in our hub on Tuesday night as Pastor Matt Bowman teaches the solid theological lectures that are saturated with Scripture and we're growing in our knowledge of who God is. The spiritual disciplines that we're doing in the Apprentice Academy and through our community groups and otherwise. Through the apologetic conference you might attend with Maven coming up. Maybe some of you have even decided, I'm going to do online seminary. Like, there are all kinds of ways that through the teaching and the preaching and the instruction of God's people, listen to me, through God's word. The common ways that he will strengthen and spread faith. And if you're wondering about our position this morning, let me just tell you, this is not only our position, this is our passion. The village church exists to grow and multiply disciples who are delighting in Jesus. That only happens by the power of the Spirit, declaring the good news about Jesus. This is what we're about. Our top two values, biblical authority, gospel centrality. If you're wondering what our position is, you don't need to wonder. This is our position. This is our passion. Do we believe God works in some uncommon ways sometimes? Yes, we do and we want to take a biblical approach to that, do we believe that God works in common ways all of the time? Amen, we do. And we've seen him use it in incredible ways, and we rejoice in that. We're grateful. Am I making sense this morning? Okay. There's a couple of you who are here this morning who may be saying something like, man, you lost me 20 minutes ago, man. 
I'm all the way back at the beginning. Like you lost me 20 minutes ago. I'm all the way back at the beginning. When you, when you read that verse when they said they didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit, that, that's, where, that's where I'm at. I'm all the way back there. If that's you this morning, what I want to tell you is that the Holy Spirit of God was present in the beginning in creation. God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was form and void and darkness was over the whole face of the deep. This is the first two verses of the Bible, if you're not yet a Christian. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And a few verses later, God says, let us make man in our image and our likeness. And so we believe as Christians that God exists as one God in three persons, God the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And that he was, Spirit was present in creation along with the Father and the Son. And, and it was, God created us in his image and likeness to have relationship with him and each other, to be in right relationship with him. And as Christians, we believe in the garden. That was, everything was great. Everything was perfect. Just in the way God intended to be. We were in right relationship with him and each other, but we weren't content with that. Just like many people are not content today with, with the spirit of God leading them and guiding them and empowering them and directing their lives, we want to direct our own lives. So when you hear me say stuff like, Christians, we want the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us and direct us, before we're Christians, we're like, no, 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 I lead me, I guide me, I direct me, thank you very much. And that, that happened all the way back as early as the garden. Our first parents made the same decision. They sinned against God, and when they sinned against God, they broke their relationship with him, and they broke their relationship with each other. We were broken, sinful people, and that's continued on until now. We, this is the way we are. We have sinned against God. Tim Keller says we, we've de-godded God. We want to be God ourselves. Ephesians 2, it says it this way. Paul is in Ephesus right now in Acts. He would later write to the Ephesian church, you were once dead in the trespasses of your sins and once you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, the spirit of the age. We might even say the spirit of antichrist, among whom we also lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. But God is good and God is gracious, and so God was not content to leave us in that place, just leading and guiding ourselves and living by the spirit of the age. Paul would write to a young leader named Titus in the early church. He saved us not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. God was not content to leave us in this place in a broken relationship with him. Sinful people. But he would come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus would live a sinless life before God, the life that we could never live. And Jesus would die a sinner's death, our, what we should have died, on the cross and in our place and for our sins. And Jesus would raise to new life to prove who he said he was and what he came to accomplish. Conquering sin and death and hell. And he would give us new life the washing and regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, that, that when we hear these things and these truths about who Jesus was as the Son of God come to be the Savior of the world, that when we place our faith and our hope and our trust in Him and in Him alone to forgive our sins and to free us to live the life that He created us for in the beginning, God does something in our heart. He regenerates it. He changes it. He, he takes a heart of stone. He turns it into a heart of clay and, and, and makes it into a heart that wants to follow Him now. 
And then he promises that one day he'll return for us. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, Paul later wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 1, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory that, that one day we again will, will be together with, with Christ face to face. That Jesus will return and make all things new that he will take us to be with himself and the Holy Spirit that resides in us as Christians is the guarantee that that's going to happen. In Revelation, we read in the recreation that the Spirit and the bride say, come. Now Jesus, we say, is inviting us to himself, but did you see that this morning? The Spirit and the bride say, come. And the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. The life that God intended for us. Free. Perfect again. Just the way he wanted it from the beginning. That Jesus will return for us. We believe this as Christians. And if you're not yet a Christian, we... We pray that you would place your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus. We pray that the Holy Spirit is, is prompting you in your heart that you would want to commit your life to him. And if that's you this morning, we'd love to talk with you and share more with you about who Jesus is and what he's done. I mean, that's connected to our good news this morning, church. And if you're new with us at the Village Church, we want to share good news with you. We believe Jesus is only, he's altogether good. And this morning, the good news statement would be something like this, that Jesus has given us his spirit to cause us to believe in him, to know him, and to live our lives for him. And, and we're grateful, aren't we? Would you pray with me? You know, Lord, when we say things like we're grateful and we're thankful, it just almost seems too small. But it's the words that we have. I mean, what else would we say? <laughs> I don't know what, what other words I would use. Um, I'm very grateful. We're we're incredibly grateful. We're more than thankful, Lord. You alone know just how thankful we are that you have done something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves, that you've changed our hearts, that you've drawn us to yourself, that you've given us faith to believe. It's by grace that we have been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift from God, not as a result of works. There's no one that can boast about it. If we boast in anything, we boast in Christ and his Holy Spirit. It's by grace and by grace alone that we are saved, that we're brought into relationship with you. We're empowered for the life that you designed us for from the beginning. Lord, I can't imagine, we can't imagine living our lives any other way, and we thank you. And our response is gratitude and it's worship. And so we worship you now in Jesus' name. Amen.